You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Story for you. When, uh, when I first moved to Lexington, seven-ish years ago now, the first fall, my wife and I were invited to this banquet. We used to host this golf scramble thing every year, and, and one of the part, part of the scramble was uh, that on the night before the golf scramble, they would have this banquet dinner. And they did it up nice, you know, they catered Carinos, and they have uh, an auctioneer and a silent auction, and then they would always bring in like a local celebrity guest to speak, that sort of thing. And so Sarah and I, we were pretty new to Lexington, so we don't really know anybody yet. Uh, so we sit down, they, they actually sit us at a table with uh, the head of our elders uh, and then this other couple. And so um, I spent most of the night just trying to get to know the head of our elders and his wife. And, and you know, he's kind of my boss. And so I'm trying to get in good with him. And, and so it's not like we ignore this other couple, uh, like I think Mitch maybe and Jenna or something of their names. But, but every time I get the chance, I'm redirecting uh, the conversation back to the elder and his wife. Because, you know, I want to make some friendships. They want to get in good with them. So dinner's going good, uh, night's going good. Uh, after they serve the meal, the MC gets up and starts to introduce the speaker, the local celebrity guest, whatever. And, and she starts in on, you know, sort of his resume. He is a protege of uh, Pat Summit down at Tennessee. Uh, he is the head coach of UK women's basketball. Uh, he's got all these coaching accolades. He's the SEC coach of the year. He's got the program in the top 10. He wows the crowds every year with his dancing at Big Blue Madness. And he's just overall like the best guy on the planet. Uh, we'd like to welcome UK Hoops coach Matthew Mitchell. And uh, so, like, no kidding, you guys, this Mitch dude, or whatever his name is, he stands up and he starts to walk on stage and starts to talk. People are clapping and cheering. I'm like, what is Mitch doing? M- Mitch was part of his last name. That's Matthew Mitchell. So I'm like, oh, man. I just ignored him, like, the whole night. Sarah and I look at each other like, should we have known this about this guy? He's been sitting at our table the whole night. I'm like, how? Somebody should have given us a clue. I looked down at my table, and suddenly there's a program that I swear wasn't there before. And in like big letters on the front, it's like, I'd like to thank our guest of honor, Matthew Mitchell. And there's a picture of him. I'm like, oh gosh. And then this is the picture of Matthew when he finds out the people at his table don't know who he is, and that's really embarrassing. Oh. Yeah. So he speaks. He's great. Kills it. He comes back. He sits at our table. And I go, so you're, uh, Matthew Mitchell, huh? Well, neat. That's neat. That's really neat. Uh, <laughs> like to reintroduce myself, I'm uh, an idiot. Uh, it's good to meet you again. I don't know if you've ever done that. You've like blundered. Like you, you met somebody you should know and you just blanked. You just had no idea who they were or you just forgot. Have you ever done this where like you're introduced to somebody and you're like, man, it's really nice to meet you. And they go, we've met like three times. And you go, oh, okay, well, goodbye. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm now, right? Uh, or uh, this past week, um, uh, Mark Wahlberg of, you know, Marky Mark from the Funky Bunch was in Grand Rapids near my hometown. And uh, I had a friend of a friend who ran into him and met him and like super excited, you know, took pictures with him, hugged him, posted it to Facebook with the caption, uh, we saw Matt Damon, right? <laughs> now, Matt Damon is not Marky Mark. Uh, they're close, maybe you confused, but so somebody posted to her, her post um, a picture of Matt Damon, who, who again is not Mark Wahlberg, right? Just for comparison's sake, they're two different people, just to be clear on this. So she said, LOL, we just screamed at him, Matt Damon, and he went with it the whole time. What a good guy. I like him even more now. Um, today we're digging into John chapter 7. And, and in John 7, there is this confusion about who people are really seeing when Jesus is on the scene. Who is it I'm looking at right now? 
Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but uh, I've really loved getting to do this series through the book of John, where we just go straight through the text uh, and pull truth out of it as we go uh, along the way. Um, it's, uh, by the way, called expository style. You may know what uh, it is to deposit something, to put something in. Exposit is to bring something out. And so what we're doing is just no shock, no flash, no awe. Just let's go straight through the text and pull the truth out of it. Uh, because we want to be people of the word. And so in your programs today, there is just the entire text of what we're going to talk about this morning. So you can follow along, interact with it, write, uh, circle, whatever you want to do. And here's what's going on it is... Um, John is trying to make the case. He's telling us that this person we're seeing when we see Jesus is no just ordinary guy, but in fact, what we're looking at is the Son of God. And he's been uh, teaching, he's calling disciples, he's been doing miracles and gaining followers and enemies at the same time. And where we're at today is this pivotal moment in the story of Jesus, a fork in the road, a crossroads, where we go, now let's be clear, who is this guy we're talking about? Uh, when I was in high school, uh, this kid that moved into our school district, and he was just like a little off. I don't know if you ever had, like, it's high school, everybody's a little off. But um, he, he went around telling people when he introduced himself that he was um, the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. That that's who he was. He believed that wholeheartedly. He had some, like, quack theories and philosophies to go with it. But he just told everybody that he was Jesus, come back. Which is weird. Uh, but it didn't stick very well. You know, people were like, I don't think so. I'm not buying it. And so eventually he had to change his story. And so he went with uh, that he was the reincarnation of King David from the Bible. Which, bro, it, it's still a little weird, man. Like, you're just, um, it's a little strange, right? Like, like, imagine tomorrow you go to work and uh, Larry from accounting or Debbie from sales comes up and tells you, listen, uh, here's the deal. I've been hiding it this whole time, but, but actually um, my dad is God. And uh, all the scriptures in the Bible, they're about me. So, get ready, I'm about to do some cool stuff, right? Like, you would go, man, something, uh, something happened to Larry this weekend, right? Debbie hit her head, or she's back on the drugs, or something is off, right? Because, because you would go, yeah, I know Larry. Yeah, lives over in Childsburg, right? Yeah, does a crappy job taking care of his lawn, always keeps his, you know, uh, garbage cans out like three or four days after pickup. Yeah, I know Larry. Uh, yeah, nice guy. Kids are a little strange, pretty decent at his job. But the Messiah, he is not. It's a crazy claim for anybody to make. And John is writing to skeptics, and he's going, you know, I know the questions you have. I know what you're thinking, because, because the people around Jesus had the same questions that you have. Wait, like Jesus? Like Mary and Joseph's kid. Lives over on, what are the 3rd Street and Yahweh, I think? Get it? Yahweh? Stupid. I'm sorry. That was dumb. <laughs> So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to go straight through the text and, and just go, like, let's look at the division over who Jesus is from Scripture that John is going, well, let me make the case for you. And so if you want to interact with it on your bulletin, uh, you can follow along on the screens. But here it is. We're going to start in verse 27 this morning as we dig in. He says this, uh, but we know where this guy is from. That's what the people are saying. We know where he lives. Uh, and when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, uh, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, yeah, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because he sent me. Because uh, I'm from him and he sent me. Now, I imagine Jesus is a smart guy, right? Like, like you would imagine Jesus is a pretty smart guy. And I'm thinking he probably knows that he only has a short time to do his ministry, only three years to accomplish his mission. And so my guess would be that he would do whatever he, he could 
to gain followers to this movement, to build momentum for this movement in the three years that he's got. Um, you know, he, he would come in and go, uh, you guys want a coffee bar at the church? We could do a coffee bar at the church, yeah. You, you need free donuts? Done. Check comfy seats? We can make that happen, right? You know, you, you want a sermon with three points that makes you feel better about your life and music that sounds like the music you actually like, but like with less, you know, innuendos and cursing? We could do that. We could definitely do that, right? You know, the, the, okay, the, the fish and the loaves miracle was great and all, but listen, Andrew, my bad. I forgot about your gluten intolerance. And there was so much bread, so much bread. And the carbs, out of control. So here's my promise from now on. All miracles will be gluten-free. And just, I can do that. I can make that happen for you guys. Whatever I got to do to get you guys signed, I'm going to do, right? Like you would imagine Jesus would be the John Calipari of recruiters, right? You need to get paid while you're here playing ball? We can make that happen. Whatever you got to do, right? Just kidding. The crowd just turned on me. Uh, but you would imagine he would just do whatever he had to do to get people on board. And what we see here is Jesus going, um, I'm going to offend you instead. Right? Because you think you know God? You don't know God. I know God. You don't. So, na 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 na. Like that's a loose translation. It's maybe the message version or something. But, but he just goes, I'm going to brazenly draw this line in the sand and go, you guys are on the wrong side of this. Uh, Matt Connor says it like this. We're not called to make the gospel anything other than what it already is. It is meant to be offensive. The road has already been labeled narrow, and any attempts of ours to widen it, reconstruct it, and pave it are in vain. You go, why would Jesus so brazenly drive people away? In fact, if Jesus was the pastor of a church, he's the pastor of this church maybe, I would think that the elders would be meeting to, to talk about the future of his employment there, Right? Yeah, he drew big crowds for a while, but now he's saying some crazy things and people are leaving. Things like, I'm the son of God and I know better than you about him. And just, you know, like, in fact, by the end, even his closest disciples are questioning their stance on him. See, people don't often, uh, they don't like the truth as much as they say they do. We often like something that's a little more palatable, uh, that is a little less offensive to our current worldview, something that's just a little easier to, on the ears to listen to. Um, Jesus says, you want this movement to lead to positions of power for you? You want me to make you king? What, you want to make me king? And I'm telling you that I came to serve. You're hoping this will make you rich, and I'm telling you that you should give away your wealth. You want to crush your enemies, and I'm telling you to love them. You want me to reign in power, and I'm telling you that this will lead to my death. Second Timothy 4 uh, says it like this. For the time will come, and let's just for the sake of discussion say that the time is here. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And in fact, what we see is that there is confusion about who Jesus is because the Messiah that people wanted was not the Messiah that they got. Verse 30 says this, At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Now, I don't, I'm trying to picture that scene. I don't know what that looks like. Is Jesus just like really sneaky? Does he slip away? Or do they like, are they waiting on some like higher court to step in? Or, or is there like they're trying to grab him and there's like a force field or something cool like surrounding Jesus? I don't, I don't know. Uh, but, but the Jews' desire is to be done with Jesus, to destroy him. But what they don't realize is that in destroying Jesus, they will destroy themselves. 
destroy their access to the Father by killing the Son. How often do we run from the things in life that would really bring us life? Like how many couples have stopped showing up at church uh, because they're worried about conviction or judgment or what people will think because they're having marriage problems and in so doing end up dooming their marriage? And if they'd run to Jesus, to the church, instead of away from it, they would find healing and help and love. But we tend to run from the things we need. That's just who we are. Like, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm a guy. When I'm sick, the last place you'll find me is at the doctor's office, right? I don't need somebody with a degree in medicine telling me that I'm sick, right? Knowing that I'm not as uh, indestructible as I pretend to be. You know, me, sick, never. Right? I laugh at the face of viruses, if they have faces. I don't know. Somebody with medicine degrees would know that, if that's a thing. <clears throat> but that's, but I mean, that's who I am. I'm the only one that just, like when you're sick, the last thing you want to do is admit it. You, you run from it. Um, run from the actual care and help you need. So I guess it shouldn't really come as a surprise to us that we do the same thing with our spiritual health. Right? When, when we need uh, help with parenting or marriage troubles, when we have addictions that are eating us alive, when we have questions or doubts or things that we're unsure about, when we have this need for accountability, the last place we want to run to is the place that will actually bring us life. Verse 31 says this, though, uh, in the midst of this, still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The question is, um, sort of rhetorical, it is sort of in the negative. They're going, listen, there is no way that when the Messiah comes, he does more than this guy. Like, this guy does amazing stuff. Clearly, he is from God. But he's not really the Messiah we want. Um, the Messiah I want, you know, he, he makes us, like, rich, and he, and he brings power to Israel. He makes things stable. He overthrows Rome and just brings stability back to our country again. It's sort of the, the 30 A.D., political ad, uh, make Israel great again, right? You know, it's just like, this is the Messiah we want. Um, uh, and I'm not trying to be political at all. What I'm saying, though, is this, that um, what the people in the crowd wanted then is what most of us want now. A Jesus who affirms everything about us, who just says you're always good, you're always right. Uh, a Jesus who um, gives us success and raises and, and uh, prosperity, who makes sure that we're never sick, never have trouble, never have pain again in our life. I mean, this is why the prosperity gospel sells so well, because it is exactly what itching ears want to hear. But it is not who Jesus is. And this confusion over who Jesus is will end up costing these people. Jump down to verse 33 with me. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Jesus over and over again draws this line of exclusivity. and says, the way you're thinking about it is wrong, that my kingdom is not of this world. Verse 37, jump there with me, says this, on the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus said, uh, stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, 
as Scripture has said. Remember, he's again pointing to himself as the one Scripture is talking about. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, um, to understand just the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here, I think it's necessary for us to step back a little bit, to broaden our scope and look at the big picture, because where and when Jesus makes this statement tells us everything about how the people respond to what he says and what it is he is actually trying to say. We're told earlier in, um, in John chapter 7 that, that Jesus is sneaking into the festival of tabernacles or the festival of booths or Sukkot. It has many names, but here's what it is. It's this uh, eight-day festival that all Jews are commanded to celebrate. In fact, they're supposed to uh, make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast together. And, and during this festival, all Jews, and they still do this today, are supposed to live in little huts, uh, sort of like this. They'll build little temporary structures with um, thatch or palm tree roofs. And they're supposed to live in them during the eight-day celebration. Now, this, uh, this celebration, this festival is just ripe with symbolism. It's commanded by God to remind them of the time that they traveled through the wilderness, that they escaped from Egypt and lived in little temporary houses, little temporary structures as they ran uh, from, through the wilderness to find the promised land. It also tells them about the tabernacle, the, the temporary structure that housed the presence of God in those days. But it's also a harvest festival. It happens in the fall. And so here's what's going on there is that um, during the busy season, the, cro- the crops, the growing season, and the harvest season, men would leave their families and go live in or near the fields in little temporary houses. And when the harvest was done, when, when they were done with all the work, they would leave the little temporary houses and go back and join their family and celebrate with a big eight-day party. And so why here? Why now? Does Jesus make these claims about being God? Because all of Israel would be gathered together. As much as the nation would be gathered together as possible at this time. And so it's in the midst of this celebration that Jesus stands up and says, let me be clear about this. Let me be clear about who I am. I'm not here as a moral teacher or a rabbi or just some overall good guy. I am here as the Son of God. He's saying to them, I am the tabernacle, the temporary dwelling of God among you, that within these walls of skin is the very presence of God. And I have come here to reap, to harvest men and women, souls for the kingdom of God, here and now in your presence. This is being unveiled. And then the apex of the entire festival is this water ceremony, where the priest would carry two golden jars, one filled with wine and one with water, and there would be this whole processional through the city, and then they would end up pouring these two jars out as a sacrifice and an offering of praise to God who brings rain to grow the crops by. And it's in the midst of this that Jesus goes, you know what you need? It's not, not jars, not pitchers of water, but rivers of living water pouring out of you. So this festival, the ancient rabbis wrote about it. They said, anyone who has not seen this water ceremony has never seen rejoicing in his life. And Jesus says to them right then, right there, that what you are looking for is not a God that shows his presence by precipitation, but a God whose presence presides within you. Not a God who brings the rain, but a God who reigns in your hearts and in your minds. And Jesus says this amazingly profound thing. That whoever believes in him will have rivers of flowing water coming out of them. The presence of God will flow through them. So you can have 
all the religion you want, all the church you want, all the systems, but unless you have the Spirit, you won't be quenched. This is why you can come to church, you can be religious, and you can still feel entirely empty. Still feel like it hasn't filled that hole, quenched that thirst, because you need the water within the jar, not just the jar used to carry it. You need the presence of God, not the systems used to foster that encounter. Verse 40, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Now you'll notice in your text there that that P is capitalized. Why would that be? It's because it's a proper noun, uh, because there's a belief among the people that there is going to be a prophet, of the prophet, who will come back and tell us the Messiah is here. Some believe it's Jeremiah, others say Elijah, uh, but belief is that there will be an announcer, somebody to come back. Verse 41, others said, no, he, he is the Messiah. And still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Now, I, I read this section of scripture and I think, um, we love to make excuses, don't we? Because earlier in this text, the problem with Jesus was that um, he was from anywhere at all. Shouldn't the Messiah come from somewhere we don't know about? And we know where this guy is from, so clearly he can't be the guy. Now the problem is that he comes from this place, and we think the Messiah should come from this place, and so clearly he can't be the guy. So which is it? Is it that he's from no place at all, or that he's supposed to be from this place when he's from that place? Um, <laughs> we... We would gladly make lots of excuses. There are plenty of excuses when it comes to Jesus, um, including, you know, us, insiders, people who are already believers who will make excuses to keep from getting too close to Jesus. Um, two weeks ago, today actually, I, I woke up really sick in the middle of the night. In fact, uh, so sick I couldn't come to church uh, that morning. And it was because of that that I was laying in bed, um, checking my phone, and I saw the news that uh, an 18-year-old girl had died in a car crash overnight. Tabby. Um, Tabby had been part of our student ministry for a while here. And in fact, I baptized her a couple years ago now. Um, but I hadn't seen a whole lot of her since, you know. It happens. And um, the next night, uh, Monday night, they held a candlelight vigil for her at uh, Jacobson Park. And so I went down to that. And uh, I was walking down to where kind of everybody was gathered in the park there. And somebody came like from the side and just hugged me, and I didn't know who it was. And then they started talking to me. And if you're an introvert like me, like having somebody you don't know, like with their arms around you and talking to you is like terrifying. And so she just starts going, oh, I'm so glad that you came. Uh, we were just talking about you the other night. And I go, oh, okay, great. Isn't that, I don't know who you are. Stop touching me. So finally she pulls back and I see, uh, I see that it's Tabby's mom. And she just came up to me and, and just threw her arms around me and, and said, um, you know, it was, uh, it was just, it was that night. It was the night that it happened. I had said to her, I said, Tabby, you should call Nathan. Like, you should just call him. And, and you should, have you thought about going back over to Northeast sometime, just getting back in with the, your friends at church there? And she said to Tabby, uh, said to her, oh, Mom, like, I'm too old for that now. Uh, I don't even know if I would know anybody there. I, I don't think I really belong there anymore. And uh, man, I, I don't know if it would have made a lick of difference, you know, if she called me or anything. But um, it, it breaks my heart that the Tabby was telling herself the same things so many people tell themselves. So many excuses that we have to keep us at least at arm's length away from Jesus. That 
I mean, of course you would have been welcomed back here. Of course you would belong here. Of all the places that you belong on the planet, church is the one. But um, she was telling herself the same thing so many people tell themselves to keep us from the truth of Jesus. Verse 43 says this, um, Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. And the crucible of our text is that line. The people were divided because of Jesus. Who do they say Jesus is? Who do people say he is now? You know, Islam will say that Jesus was uh, born of a virgin, that he was a prophet uh, to be revered, that he ascended to heaven and that someday he will return. Um, But they won't say that um, he is the son of God, nor will they say that he ever died, both of which are pretty integral to the Christian faith. Judaism will say that he was a a prophet, a wise teacher, born of a woman named Mary, but not by divine intervention. They will admit that he did miracles, that he did things people could not explain, and that he was crucified on a cross. But they won't say that he was the Son of God, and um, they won't say that he rose again. Uh, Hinduism says that Jesus is a wise teacher, a prophet, a a truth-sayer, a a god, one of many gods, but they will uh, not admit that he was ever like actually a real person in history, which is interesting because all, basically all historians will tell you that Jesus is an actual person. Nobody really denies that, that, that he actually lived and existed. There was a Jew named Jesus in that region at that time who did things people couldn't explain and gained a large following. See, everyone has an opinion, but people are divided about who Jesus really is. I'd suggest that there are really only a couple of options to choose from. Um, C.S. Lewis gives us the famous trilemma. Uh, and he says, you really only have three options, and, and he gives us the three L words, that either you are a liar, either he was a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. I'll just read it to, to you because uh, it's so good. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. In Matthew, Jesus uh, asked the disciples to make a clear stance on who they say he is. Matthew 16 says this. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, reference back to that prophet title, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Jesus asked his disciples the most important question you can ever ask a person. Who do you say Jesus is? Where do you stand on him? Like if I were to ask you guys right now to just, in your notes, take a second and just finish this sentence, Jesus is, your answer to that is the most important answer in the world. 
You can't deny his existence. You can write him off as a lunatic or a liar. But your options are limited, and you must absolutely do something with the person of Jesus. Peter, I believe, answers correctly in verse 16. He says, Simon Peter answered, Your Lord, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Listen, if there is confusion about who Jesus is, then people will fail to believe that he is the Messiah, the Christ. Church, it is our job to make it absolutely clear who he is. Because I believe this, when you know who Jesus is, you'll love him and you'll worship him. Now, um, all this is kind of fine and dandy, especially if we're talking to those who are just, you know, uh, not yet part of the family of God. But, but who is Jesus talking to when he makes all these grand statements? Jesus is at a religious festival talking to religious people, right? Verse 28 says this, that uh, I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me uh, is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. And when Jesus says that to religious people, they try to kill him. Because you just messed with the wrong thing, Jesus. You want to come in and teach scripture. You want to gain followers. You want to do miracles. That's fine. We don't like it. But, but you come in here and say that we don't know God. You don't cross the line, man. And so they try to prove how well they know God by murdering him. Right? You know God. We know him better. We'll kill you to prove it. Makes sense, right? But what about us? Because here's my guess, most of us are pretty religious people. You, you will find us in church on the given church holidays. Imagine it's Easter, you're all here, and Jesus gets up and says, you guys think you know God, but you don't. Now listen, I'm not trying to judge anyone's faith here this morning, but I do think it's a really good practice for Christians to constantly be in the state of going, how am I doing? Let's do a little self-check. How am I doing? Am I looking more like Jesus or less like Jesus in my life right now? Am I doing this out of pure motives? Am I following him so that I, I gain some benefit for my life? Or am I following him because I lay my life down for his glory and for his kingdom? Because we've gotten pretty good at doing church in America. Right? It's, a, it's a difficult line. I understand that. Because you can be so bad at church services that it distracts people. People miss the message of Jesus. But you can also be so good at church services that, that people miss the message of Jesus, you know? Church services are a platform on which we display the message of Jesus so that people get to know not pastors, not worship leaders or programs or styles or media or anything else, but, but that they get to know the person of Jesus. Because if you don't know the person of Jesus, all the church in the world won't help. Jesus changes everything. A couple of years ago, I started to, uh, I started changing the language I use whenever I do a, a baptism. Um, there's no like magic formula to the words that are said over there in the baptistry, but there is a pretty standard script, and it usually ends with, um, and I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior, right? And, and I was just, you know, thinking about that, that wording of that, uh, and when we, when we would do it, and I thought, you know, like who doesn't want a savior? Right? Like, like who doesn't want, it's a get out of jail free card. It's an insurance. Like who doesn't want a rescue or somebody to just come and go in and go, I got this. I'm taking care of you, right? Like I would guess that maybe even an atheist would go, yeah, sure, why not? It's a little insurance policy. What could it hurt? I, yeah, sure, I'll take a savior. Why not? 
See, that, that's not the problem. That's not the thing that people get tripped up about. It's not, it's not the reason they tried to kill Jesus. It's not the reason they did kill Jesus. It's not the reason that people reject Christianity or are confused about him. Um, the problem we have is with the Lord part, right? Because that's a whole different ball of wax. To go, not only do I want you to rescue me to save my life, but also I'm going to give you my life. Here are the keys. That everything from this point on is for you. It's for your lordship. That whatever you want in my life, you can have it. That I surrender to you. That's a, that's a much bigger ask. A much bigger thing to accept than the gift of a savior. Because the division over who Jesus is, it's not Jesus' fault. He was very clear about who he is. We get down to the root of the problem. The root of the problem here is us. It's the crowd. It's the people. It's us going, here's what I want out of my Messiah. And being confused, being surprised when God doesn't bend to our every desire or request and go, here's what, yeah, I'll give you exactly what you want. But instead gives us Jesus, which is exactly what we need. See, here's what I'd, I'd suggest that many of us here because this is so easy to do. Many of us here have a version of Jesus that isn't actually who Jesus is. Like, like the Jesus who affirms everything about me, just approves of everything I do, who thinks the same way I think about stuff, votes the same way I vote about stuff, who, who likes the same kind of music and people that I like. And what we end up doing, because this is so easy, but we end up, we end up worshiping a version of Jesus that is a lot more like us than like him. I don't want us to think that being part of the religious crowd is the same thing as seeing, believing in, and giving lordship over to Jesus. I don't want us to think that. I want us to be very clear about who Jesus is because I believe the more clearly you see Jesus, the more that you will love and worship him. We pray me um, for just a minute. God, um, pray for your clarity. Pray for eyes that see you for exactly who you are and not the version of you that we wish you were. We know, God, that your ways are higher than ours, your thoughts are higher than ours, and that you know what we need far better than we do. And so, God, we uh, submit to you. And we just say, God, uh, that your Lordship, Jesus, it's exactly what we, we need, and we want to pursue him like nothing else. So, God, uh, help us to see clearly who your Son is. Help us to strip away anything we've added to that, anything that has been um, grouped together with that, that confuses us. Help us just to see exactly who he is. It's your name that I pray. Amen. Hey, do me this favor. Uh, in your program, there, jump back to verse 37. Take a look at that. Um, it says this, on the, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let, and then what's that next word? Anyone. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. The invitation is to absolutely anyone who wants to know God, to be filled with his presence. What if we were people who devoted ourselves so totally to the presence of God, to making Jesus our Lord, master of our lives, that we knew exactly who Jesus was? We knew his words, how he lived, knew it so well that it was crystal clear to the people around us that we had been with the real Jesus. Acts 4 talks about um, 
the followers of Jesus and how they're living. And it says this about how they live. This is Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, man, the way that they followed Jesus with their lives, when they saw that and realized they were just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note of this, that these men had been with Jesus. What could a church full of people who have been with Jesus accomplish? If you have a decision to make this morning, maybe you have never... um, accepted that invitation that is open to anyone to be part of the family of God. And you want to know what it's like to be filled with his presence, to experience the true Jesus. I mean, there'll be people out front and we'll be singing songs this morning. You can come and talk to any of us. If you'd like prayer for anything in your life, would you come down and talk with us? Um, but uh, would you stand now as we sing together and worship Jesus?